All right, welcome to the New Yorker Cartoon Caption Contest podcast. I am Ben Coker. With me is Beth Lawl and Paul Nesha. And on part two of today's episode, we have New Yorker cartoonist Alex Gregory. Fantastic interview with Alex Gregory. He is a uh, very successful comedy writer as well. He's won two Emmys for his work on Veep. Uh, very impressive resume he has, and it's a fantastic interview. So stay tuned for that in part two. But before that, let's jump into the winner of contest 805 and the winner turned. This is the uh, psychiatrist talking to King Kong and the beautiful blonde. And the uh, winning caption was, I think he's been seeing the woman upstairs followed by, I know you have a plane to catch and then he's shown growth, but can he evolve? Paul, what's your take on, on how these played out? Uh, it, it, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised at that. I think he's uh, been seeing the woman upstairs. I, I did not like that. I still do not like it. I don't know why people voted for that one first. It doesn't work with the cartoon. It, I, the other two were better, and those should have been second and first and second between the other two uh, captions. The one that won should have been third. I, I'm disappointed. I, people got it wrong. So, yeah, uh, uh, I mostly agree. I definitely think that people got it wrong, and I think that should have been third place. But I think it's good. I think it's a good caption, but uh, I think it was a third place caption. Um, so I, I, I do agree. I, I think the people got this one wrong. Yep. Agree. Um, and we did get Ian and Pia's original caption, which was, so you both like bananas. That's a good starting point. Let's build on that. Um, so it was definitely a psychiatrist. Uh as we pretty much knew, but that's confirmation. It was definitely a psychiatrist. Um, a decent caption, but I suspect they would agree these three finalists are probably better than their original caption. Yeah. Yeah. There's is a bit wordy, which, you know, it's okay sometimes, but this one, I think needed something short and fast. Um, my, my guess is they were very happy with the idea and then backfill the caption. I'm almost certain this was an example where they said, how about King Kong and uh, the blonde he got in the movie in couples therapy. Mm -hmm. I think that as an idea is great. And it was very good fodder for a caption contest. Mm -hmm. I, I'm almost certain they came up with the image. We're very happy with, I wouldn't be surprised if they submitted several captions before this was purchased. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. this you can do captions on this one all day long. Once you have the image, that's really the success yeah. of it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was Pia doing the image and Ian, you know, trying to supply something to this. So. Yeah. And he probably came up with the idea of what's going on in the cartoon. Right. Mm -hmm. Just having that going on. And yeah, it, it's great. I, I love the concept. So, yeah. And it was a good, this was a good one for a caption contest. Yeah. All right. How about we jump on to contest 807? The, uh, Scientists talking about a mouse entering a cornfield. Finalists were the hardest part was teaching him to use the hedge trimmers. It's how we tell the city mice from the country mice. And the real scientific breakthrough was developing tiny corn. Beth, what is your take on uh, these finalists? Um, I, I don't like the first one right off the bat. I can tell you that um, the, the drawing to me, it's, it's not a hedge, it's corn. Um, and so it doesn't really make sense to me that 
The hardest part was teaching him how to use the hedge trimmers. Also in lab rats or lab mice, the maze is already built. They don't, the mouse doesn't build the maze. So that just seems silly to me also. Um, so I don't know why they picked that one. It was 96 in crowdsourcing. Like they went pretty far down to find that one. And there were probably better ones um, before that. Um, I saw a few better ones that I'll tell you later which ones I liked. But um, uh, it's, it's how we tell the city mice from the country mice. Yeah, that one's kind of cute. I mean, it's just like the old fable, the city mouse and the country mouse. It's, it's kind of cute. And the real scientific breakthrough was developing tiny corn. That one's okay. I mean, there already is such a thing as tiny corn. So <laughs> I don't think that was really a scientific breakthrough. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble with all of these. I think I'm going to vote for the second one, but I'm not thrilled about it. Paul has a smirk on his face. So I'm curious to uh, <laughs> your thoughts. Oh, I, I love these. These are all great captions. <laughs> I have nothing but good things to say about these captions. <laughs> no, it just seriously, I, I texted Beth and Ben about this saying, one of these is the worst captions I've ever read in the contest. <laughs> uh, that's a bold statement that I already know I'm going to disagree with, but which just because I've seen so many bad ones. <laughs> okay. There, there may have been worse. I've, I've been doing this for three years now. There's, there's probably some worse ones before this, but, but during the time I've been doing this, I'm going to say I wasn't thrilled with any of these. I mean, they're, they're you know, the uh, breakthrough and tiny corn. Okay, fine. Uh, country mouse, city mouse. It, it, there's a theme there, you know, it's, it's, it, it works with this. It doesn't make me laugh though. Uh, but I really, really hated the hardest part was teaching them to use the hedge trimmers. Everything about that I hate. Uh, <laughs> the, the hedge trimmers. Okay, why is that plural? Why did they have the hedge trimmers? Did they have multiple trimmers? Why is it the hedge trimmers? Shouldn't it be just the hedge trimmer? You know, I, even the the syntax of this just bugged me right off. And then it's hedge trimmers. Hedge implies a hedge. This is a corn maze. This is not a hedge. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it should have been, if you're doing something with the, that, it should have been farm implements. Farm implements is funny. It's, you know, you see them on a tractor or, you know, a, you know, whatever else is out there, a hay stacking thing. That would have been funny. Uh, teaching them to use that. I mean, and as Beth said, they taught them to make the maze. What is this? That's not how this works. <laughs> Mice don't make the maze. Or then I thought, okay, they're teaching them to do it. Is this part of the process where they gave them the hedge trimmers and just had them go out there? And this is what happened. He made a maze with hedge trimmer. <laughs> you know, he's trying to do something straight, but he, he made a mess of it. It's just, I hate everything about this. It's a mess. It's just, yeah. ah. I don't understand why they picked that one. I mm -hmm. don't understand it because, and even Beth said, this was down near a hundred. They had to go down and search for this one. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it makes me feel like I can just randomly put some words together and, you know, submit that and they may pick it. It's like, no, don't, don't do this. Make it worth their effort to put time in and make great caption and pick a good caption. Mm -hmm. This makes me mad. This one makes me mad. 
Um, oh, then <laughs> I have thoughts, but my thoughts are it's a thought that I had actually, and this kind of solidified it for the original thought I had was for the Cameron Hefe's cartoon stock caption contest, where the two cavemen were talking about a washing machine. And Larry highlighted like 50 captions, which were all fine. I think all of those could have frankly been winners. And then the cartoon stock came and chose two that Larry didn't even highlight. And I think the thought I had was it's kind of easy to come up with good workable captions. It's very hard to come up with the home run, but I don't think it's that difficult to come up with a good workable caption for a lot of cartoons. And I think that's what happened here. I think these three, uh, I don't love them. I like them more than you seem to like them, but they're not great. But to me, they're decent workable captions. Um, and I think this is probably lo- the large frustration a lot of people have with the contest is they read those and go, mine was just as good. And they're mm-hmm. probably right. I think mine was just as good. And whoever mm-hmm. thinks theirs was just as good, you're probably right. Sometimes there are just a lot of good cartoons that work, good captions that work, but aren't great. And uh, I think that's what ends up happening for a lot of cartoons. I think it's what happened with this one. It's definitely what happened with the caveman and the washing machine where sometimes it's just a lot of decent cartoons and no great ones. And that, that that's kind of the thought I had. And that's what I think happened with this one. In other words, whichever one you're going to highlight as being better is probably just decent. My guess is you didn't see any that you thought were grand slams. I saw one that I thought was a grand slam. Really? <laughs> what was it? Actually, maybe not, maybe not. But uh, Trump bragged that he beat the mouse by two seconds. <laughs> Well, that's definitely not a grand slam. <laughs> but it's, it's funny. It's, it's funny. funnier than this one. It's funny. Okay. Okay. Here's another one. It's not about speed. It's about existential despair. I like that one. That like one's that great. One. That one's great because have you ever been lost in a corn maze? I've never been in a corn maze. You've never been in a corn maze? No. You're from New you. Didn't you well, grow see, up in that's New the problem with this cartoon. <laughs> live in New Jersey. <laughs> that's yeah, the problem with this. I bet you no one that the New Yorker went through a corn maze or knew anything about corn mazes. Yeah. <laughs> I I once got lost in a corn maze right around the time that the sun was going down, starting to go down. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm never getting out of here. I'm never going to get out of here. It was like, oh my God, I'm going to die in this corn maze. And uh, so that, that, um, that it's not about speed. It's about existential despair was funny to me. That was much better, much better. And uh, <clears throat> then the other one I liked was just a play on words. He, if you're going to have, you know, plays on words, this was a good one. He's the best in his field. That's, that's a good play on words. It's not yeah. funny. It's, it's not no. funny, but it's clever. It's, clever. it's a clever play on words, which they often choose. Yes, but um, is it extremely clever? Didn't you have that caption? We discussed it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you said best in the field because I had mentioned the field mo- field mouse. Yeah, maybe I did. You said, oh, the better way to go is... Maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> that's, that's probably why you like it. <laughs> well, you know, I just think that uh, the ones that they chose were... They, they just don't strike me as finalist material. I mean, like I, I have said in the past, like... They're not something I would want to see published in the magazine. They're not something I would want to see on my calendar. They're, you know, they're just kind of like, eh, you know. Yeah. 
I, I just don't think, uh, I just don't think they're great. Um, it's not about speed. It's about existential despair though. That makes me laugh. Yeah. I like that, that one. That's funny. So I don't know. And, uh, you know, mine was, it's not an experiment. It's an experience, which I think is just as decent as these, yeah. like Vin said, that's just as it's, good. That absolutely okay. could be yeah. in yeah. here. And, uh, I, you'd like it. And I'm sure there'd be a bunch of people saying that's not good. That's not right. as good as my, yeah. you know, developing tiny corn. Mine's better right. than that. Right. And so the problem is when there's a cartoon that just generates a lot of captions that work, everyone mm -hmm. thinks theirs is the best because, uh, right. Not a, so, so when we, Vin and I had had lunch with Bob Mankoff last week and we talked about this cartoon and he talked about the use of, um, AI artificial intelligence to generate a caption for this cartoon that was really kind of interesting. And, you know, he, he says he gives the AI like prompts, like, you know, what would a mouse in a cornfield do or a mouse in a lab? What would a lab mouse do? He just gives it prompts and has it write a story. And he said that the AI came up with um, something about big pharma with pharma capital spelled with an F. So instead of big pharma, like pharmaceuticals, it's big pharma with an F, which I thought was really good. So Bob suggested the caption, we're funded by big pharma. Yeah. Which I think that could be a winner. I, I looked it up in the submissions and he did not submit it. But um, I'm really surprised that I, I could come up with a pun like that because that is actually a decent it, pun. It is a good pun. It is a good pun. I mean, it needs to be a written pun, a visual pun. Right. You have to see it to, to get the pun. But I thought that was really good. And had it been submitted, I definitely think that could have been a winner. And I'm, I'm surprised nobody came up with it. Yeah, it's not in there at all. Yeah, that that works for the cartoon because mm -hmm. it's on a lab and it makes it a farm and it, yeah, it, it yeah would have worked. Yeah. So well, this one similar. I was requested by a big farmer with a an trial, F a farmer. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that in there. Jesus, there's like fire trucks and lots. Oh, I know what it is. It's our project graduation going by. All right, but I guess uh, that's enough thoughts for for these captions. Paul's opinion is worst caption in the history of the contest. I certainly disagree. Up to this point, up to this point, I expect that to be no. beaten at any any week now. I think I think Clyde here handles returns is worse. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, have to. Yeah. Okay. It's a tie. You're right. I, I forgot about Clyde. I, I don't know how I forgot about Clyde, but. Uh, but I will end by saying my prediction is it's how we tell the city mice from the country mice is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we'll reach out to Tom Toro. Definitely curious to know what his original caption was for this one. All right. How about we jump into this week's cartoon contest 809. Uh, Julia suits. This is two hikers climbing up a mountain with a house strapped to their back. Uh, this is the first Julia suits we've had in a while. It's not her first in the contest, but it's first in a while and uh, very, very good drawing. This house is drawn like perfectly. And I love yeah. the little straps that like 
the detail of it going through his arm. Fantastic. Uh, just the artwork on it. Mm-hmm. And I suspect this will be one that won't be too difficult. Uh, Paul, did you submit yet? No, I haven't submitted yet. Uh, I, I, I do like the cartoon. You know, it's a, it's a good concept. Uh, uh, I had a little fun with it on uh, Sunday night. I, I like that uh, when we go into the Facebook group and have some fun with things. Uh, I, I came up with uh, three caption right off, and there's one of them I'm kind of like, maybe I'll do this, but I'll, I'm not sure if I want to. And I'll, when I get to it, you'll understand why. I'm kind of hesitant. Uh, so the first thing I thought of was a uh, good thing we have uh, the detached garage. So most houses have a yeah. attached garage. Just you know, just makes it easier. Uh, at least we're not underwater. So going back to the mortgages and stuff, you know, that's kind of an older take from back in the housing or the mortgage crisis thing from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And finally, I thought, you know, what would Ben do with this one? What would Ben come up with here? It's like, how can I use mother-in-law on this one? How much farther away do we do we want the mother-in-law suite? I love that. I yeah, I kind of thought you would. I do too. I definitely like that. <laughs> I, I think it was one of the top ones in the Facebook group. And it's like, damn, a mother-in-law. <laughs> do I do that? I don't want to do that. I really do not want to answer a mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, that's good though. I think it's great. I mean, I yeah, think- it is good. It's like, dang, that is actually a good mother-in-law caption. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh. it's. I blame you, Ben. I blame you. <laughs> They're usually good. I think. I definitely think you should submit that one. Ah, thinking <laughs> it's about perfect. It. It's about so it. perfect. Oh my god. I could see a detached garage getting picked too, though. It's one of those mm-hmm. that's uh, kind of like we just discussed. It's good and it works. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess luck comes into play. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of good things you can do yeah. with this one. I, I, I haven't thought about it since that Sunday night, and I'm sure I can think of more. You know, just. Yeah, I didn't. Well, given the choice between the detached garage and the mother in law, the detached garage is clever and good but it's not yeah funny the mother-in-law one is funny mother-in-law is funny it's Mm -hmm. the mother-in-law you're you're right they do tend to be Mm -hmm. funny yeah it's 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 it still has wear on its tread that uh, can go further so yes mother-in-law jokes are still there Mm -hmm. i would do it yeah i guess i would suggest mother-in-law just because it's (laughs) i think it's a caption you'd be more proud of than the detached one which works but like I say, it's not funny. It works. Right. And I could see it in a finalist spot. It's just mm-hmm. the type of caption I could see there. Yeah. Right. But it's it's not as funny as the mother-in-law one. So it's like, I would, you know, I like funny. I, I go with funny over clever. Yeah, so. definitely. Definitely. So mine, I didn't come up with anything funny. I just came up with something clever. And so. submitted already like your usual? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. So... Yeah, my ideas, I had a couple ideas before I submitted. Um, the ideas I came up with were, see, you can take it with you, which is just eh. And plus another caption, like the PC Vey one just did a C, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I also don't know that it makes sense. In other words, you can take it with you as something that you say when you die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that doesn't really make sense. Well, I didn't submit that one anyway, so, <laughs> so that's good. Okay. Um, 
My next one was I'm never helping a friend move again. Cause you know, like that. friends like ask that. you to help that's, them move. That's good. I would just change. I'm never helping you move again. Instead oh, of okay. Yeah. And that's good. That's another one yeah. I could see in the finalist position. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Maybe I'm never I helping should. you move again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's a finalist to me. Ugh, see, I'm never helping you submitted. move again. I'm never helping you move again is a finalist caption, I think. Okay. Um, maybe maybe Good. my husband will submit that one. <laughs> in, in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and then I ended up submitting, I think it's time we settle down. I, I like that one too. Yeah. You know, it, it, that one's, it, it's clever and it's funny. You know, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know it's, if it's funny, but it's, it's it works. I mean, it's the, not lap out, fun, uh-huh. lap out loud funny, but it's, it's funny. More, it's right. more, yeah, it there works. is some, there is some humor to it beyond the cleverness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Witty. I think the term is witty. Witty. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I liked it. I liked it enough to submit it, but now that I'm thinking about it, the other one definitely was better. Uh, submit the other one too, and submit <laughs> it. Submit it this way, though. This is this is the last time I help you move, so that you end on move. Uh, this is the last time I help you move. Okay. That's. This. I mean, there's going to be a lot that are, as we just discussed, good and finalist worthy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And as always, a lot of it comes down to luck, but. This is the yeah. last time I help you move. I can see in a finalist position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Well, if I if I submit it and, and it'll be a joint um, a joint effort. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, there are going to be a lot. I suspect that are mm-hmm. that are workable, but not right uh, necessarily hysterical. Mm-hmm. But yeah, work. Well, there were a few I saw in the Facebook group aside from Paul's good mother-in-law one that I thought were funny. Um, one was my wife got the kids. So I took the house. Good. Yes. That's good. That's good. Right. That's very good. That's really good. And then uh, this one just made me laugh. I don't even know why it's, it's just stupid. Um, this witness protection program stinks. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. It doesn't make sense, but it's funny. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Make sense. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense at all for this, but it's funny. Um, it made me laugh. I don't even know why. Uh, downhill is actually harder. <laughs> that's, that's just like. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I it is true. It's true. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll throw this one out just because I always do this one. My life is a serious and unfortunate, yes. unfortunate decision. You should submit that. That's funny. No, I, I, oh I submitted God. that once. I'm not going to do it again. You should. You should. Um, at least we have a roof over our heads. That's just, you know, clever. Yeah, yeah, and um, I never know what to pack. I thought that was funny. I never That's know probably going to gonna be the most common theme is mm-hmm. uh, is that theme. Yeah. 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 Something on that with, you know, did we remember to pack or, you know, or did yeah, you my, my take on it was I don't feel like we're forgetting something. Kind of like you always yeah. say, I feel like we're forgetting something. Or how about like, did we remember to lock the doors? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did we lock up? Yeah. Something <laughs> to do with the cat or the dog, maybe, you know, yeah. some. <laughs> I, I had one realtor uh, putting them as realtors. Um, uh-huh. They better buy this is a, they better buy this is the third house we're showing them. 
<laughs> that is funny. That is funny. I, I like that. that. I, I do like, like that. that one. That, was, that, that one surprised me. So yes, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, the only other one I had was a uh, works, but not great. Uh, why did we agree to house it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which works. But yeah, it yeah. works. I like the yeah, other one but, better though, you know, given the choice. More clever, more clever mm-hmm. than funny. Yeah. Yeah, so there'll be a lot of them for this one. Uh, this will certainly be one where everyone will probably be upset with the finalists. Uh, <laughs> at least my guess is there'll be one that everyone's happy with and two that everyone just feels like mine was a little better. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to have pretty good ones for it. And yeah. uh, everyone's going to want to see theirs in there. Well, I think Paul should submit the mother-in-law one and you should yeah, yeah, submit definitely. the realtor one and then we'll see the two of you in the final circle. Definitely <laughs> mother-in-law. And uh, Julia Suits is a cartoonist we had not had on. So we'll, uh, mm-hmm. we'll reach out to her to, uh, to get her on. And just before we jump into our interview with Alex Gregory, because uh, we've mentioned it in the past, it's very funny. I was going through crowdsourcing for the Winnebago in space cartoon. Oh, yeah. I took a look. There are 27 Grey Poupon captions, yes. and they're all trending high. They're all. Yeah. Yes. First of all, how, like you said, how is that still a relevant thing? I, how do so many people submit it? And how does it do so well in the con? It's, it's like <laughs> all high. they're all like I, in the top hundred. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a nostalgia thing that like people, you yes. know, it's just remember that. it and they see it and they're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. There was only one that I saw that I actually thought was kind of funny. It was like something like, what's Grey Poupon? You know, like the aliens didn't know what Grey Poupon was. So that's probably yeah, someone gen- genuinely asking, like, why do I see so much of this? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's 26 Grey Poupon captions. Yeah, there there were two captions in there that I saw that I that I liked. One was another 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 Trump caption. It was it was Trump sent us. We're looking for eleven thousand eight hundred votes. <laughs> That's good. That I like. And I, that I like. And good. the New Yorker hates Trump. They might actually. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be yeah. totally surprised if they chose that. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And then the other one that I thought was funny was you should have thought of that before you left, because yeah. they have a bathroom in their camper. So they're saying they can't use the bathroom uh, because they yeah. should have thought of that before you left. I thought those were good. Yeah, I, I would have told that person to submit. You should have went before you left. Yeah, I don't know that thought of that necessarily drives home the joke. Right, clearly. Right. Yeah. right. There's a there's a lot of bathroom jokes. That, yeah, not bathroom dirty jokes that just you know. Yeah, have to do with bathrooms. Right, right. Not necessarily funny either. I usually um, don't like a uh, Trump joke because they're too easy and they, so many have been done. But I actually yeah. like that looking for votes. That's, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, right. it's it's surprising. That's why it, you, you, you wouldn't think of it looking at this. <laughs> yeah, and, and just the idea that they're in space looking for votes. It, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> It totally made me laugh when I saw it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. All right, without further ado, why don't we jump into our interview with Alex Gregory? He is a uh, very interesting and accomplished guy. This is definitely a good interview. So stay right up for Alex Gregory. 
Alex. Hi. 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 How you doing? We are good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. <laughs> We're happy. You're happy. Glad to have you on. Much appreciated. Sure. Where are you all located? Uh, I'm in Amagansett, New York right now. Oh, nice. Thought you were a California guy. I was. It was a COVID move. Uh, and, then, and then it stuck. Where are you guys right now? Uh, we're all different areas, but I am in New York, Staten Island. Oh, nice. Yeah. Excellent. I'm in Montclair, New Jersey. Love Montclair. <laughs> and I'm on the middle of nowhere near Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, not bad. <laughs> it's a cool little town. <laughs> yeah, so we're happy to have you on. And uh, usually we talk mostly about cartooning, but um, mm -hmm. most cartoonists don't have as impressive of a TV background as you. Um, and I don't know what came first, necessarily the TV writing or um, the cartooning. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a quick background on how you got into all of it, we'll kind of take it from there, if you don't mind. Yeah, the, the two are actually intertwined. Um, I started with TV and uh, I actually had a bizarre encounter with a, a psychic when I was on the writing staff of the Larry Sanders show. And I had harbored dreams of being a New Yorker cartoonist my whole life, something that I kind of kept to myself. And uh, I remember being on the lot at the time, this was 97, and Bruce Eric Kaplan was on the Seinfeld writing staff. So he was just like a few hundred feet away. And I had always told myself, well, I don't have time to really do it because I got this TV job. And then I was like, okay, Bruce Kaplan works seven days a week on Seinfeld. And he's one of their best cartoonists. And he's in every week. And I'm kind of shit out of excuses. And so then as part of the Larry Sanders arc, Gary Shanley wanted to do an episode where he had a psychic on and do this whole runner with a psychic. But he didn't just want to have a psychic on without seeing that she could do stuff. Whether or not it's a fraud is a whole other thing. But he just wanted to see someone display their skills. So he had this woman named Char, who's a, at the time was a big time LA psychic. And so she came into the room and she just <laughs> she just ran the room. It was it was pretty incredible. Like she did stuff. Um, like my writing partner, uh, like she told him that there was a girl from his past that was going to call. And then like 10 days later, she did and guessed the name of the girl that was going to call. Like to me, that's kind of one step beyond the does your, is your grandfather's name yeah. Mike or something. So she looked at me and the first word she said was cartooning. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, it's something that's really important to you. And you kind of, you know, you haven't really done a lot with it, but you need to get to it because you're going to have great success with it. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, it, having the, the confluence of Bruce Kaplan a few hundred feet away and this woman telling me not only that it was important to me, which confirmed that it was important to me, but that also that I needed to do it. Like, oh, God. So... I decided I was going to take, I remember reading, I think 
I think it took Bruce like five years to get into the magazine. And I think it took George Booth like 10. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give myself five years. I'm just going to submit. And then uh, at the end of five years, if I hadn't gotten in, I'll, I'll, I'll rethink everything. And then the other weird event was I was getting ready to go to my high school reunion. I think it was a 10-year and I happened to be flipping through one of the cartoon anthologies and Bob had dedicated it to his assistant, Elizabeth Haberfeld. And I happened to have an Elizabeth Haberfeld in my high school class that I was going to see. <laughs> and so I saw her there and I was like, Liz, did you work for Bob Mankoff? And she's like, yeah. And then I, I cornered poor Liz for like half an hour, just drilling her on like, okay, how many roughs? How finished does the finish have to be? How like just what do they need? What are they? And so after the psychic, Bruce Kaplan and Liz Haberfeld, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. And so then I just started doing it every week. And then like six months later, I got my first uh, okay. Wow. How are you wow. submitting? That's crazy. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was submitting it the way. These were early days. So this is 97 to 97, 98, no, 98 I started. So you would have to put a bunch of roughs in like a USPS envelope with a finish on top of it because mine were eight and a half by 11 and mail it in every week and just spend the money. And it wasn't until you became a known cartoonist that they gave you the fax number. And then... I would have to run to like a Kinko's or something and then fax it because I didn't have a fax machine. And that, that was, that was the way you did it, but it was just mailing it in. So you were getting no feedback or even acknowledgement that they were even getting read, right? No, none. Wow. Yeah, that's and, uh, well, knowing what had happened to two of the greatest cartoonists in the magazine it was liberating. It was like, okay, if, if it took him 10 years to recognize that George Booth is a genius, uh, I, I got plenty of time, plenty of time. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it was like, they clearly weren't giving George any feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they were giving Bruce any feedback. So it's like, okay, those are my two benchmarks. Those are like two, two of my favorite artists. I'm going to use those guys as benchmarks. And it was a long road. I think David Cypress, it took him a long time as well. Yeah. And what I thought was really cool, I, what I love about all those three artists is how idiosyncratic their work is. And I think sometimes those are the ones that take the longest to break through because it's like, what is this? And is this the New Yorker? Like, I'm sure it took them a while for them to realize that David Cypress is like a perfect New Yorker cartoonist because he's so idiosyncratic. But at the time, maybe his work didn't look like the other stuff in the magazine. Mm -hmm. So... I think uh, I think that was one of the an, another like inspiring guy. My stuff was kind of the opposite, which was they found my art boring, but liked my jokes, and so that was that was an interesting revelation. So, but back then, where you you were submitting in hard copy, so it wasn't digital yeah. yet, right? Well, what would happen is is I would print my digital stuff out. So wow. I would do my roughs in pencil and I would print out one finish a week just to show them what a finish would look like on a printer. 
and include mm-hmm. it with the with the roughs. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I was using uh, like a laptop and uh, a sketch pad on the side with a, like an early version of Illustrator. So it was very crude and very hard to get it to look good. And so if you look at my stuff, there is a jump in quality. And that jump happens when Wacom made the monitor tablet and I could draw directly on the monitor and it, it, everything just kicked up a notch when that happened. Mm-hmm. Back then, did you know Bruce Eric Kaplan or did you just know of him, knew he was working? In the I next just studio? knew of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was a pretty, uh, big collector of like cartoon anthologies and I would read obsessively about and anytime there was an article on the cartoonist, I would read about them. And so I was just a fan of Bruce's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know. I, I, the funny thing is I didn't even get to meet him until we appeared at some New Yorker function together. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I didn't meet him on the lot. I think I walked by his office one day and like saw him inside his office. And I was like, oh. but that, I think that's as close as I got until, uh, until we appeared in the same panel. The stuff, that, the stuff that they weren't buying, did you think they were not good enough or did you think they kind of just wanted to see your commitment to the craft before they actually bought one? Both. Both. I think at the time there was a huge priority placed on consistency, which was if we're going to let someone in the gate, we need to know that we're, they're not just going to stop after one and they're going to keep uh, turning stuff out. So I was definitely aware that that was a, that was a thing. And I, I think that's one of the things that like Liz told me about, which is they want to know you're serious about it. It's not just like a dilettante going, Oh, I can, I'll dash off a drawing. I think nowadays, um, back then there was still like the tail end of people being able to do it professionally of like, I'm a full-time, I mean, maybe like Roz is one of the two people who can still make entirely a living from cartoons, but Mm -hmm. It used to be that like some of those guys would like do Playboy or other things. There were other there were other venues for it. Now I don't honestly don't know, um, but I think they relaxed a bit because they realized that a lot of if they wanted to get young people in, young artists, those young artists were going to be doing other things. They they couldn't they couldn't sustain a living just doing cartoons. And I think once they did that, they opened the door for a lot of young, interesting artists who might do it. Like Bob was always trying to get me to recruit people from Hollywood. You know, you know, comedy writers, get them to do it. And so I actually recruited uh, a woman I knew. And I was like, you know, cause she was expressed interest. Like do it. You're, you're a, a great writer. And she, she got down and she did it and she got one in. I was like, okay, I don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> that was it. So she had one run. Wow. And I think that that's all, that's a, probably a lot more uh, frequent occurrence now than it was back then. Back then it was really hard to break in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised to hear there was a one and done back then, you know? Well, this was more recent. This was oh, okay. after I'd been doing it a, a long time. Mm-hmm. What was, was more, more like sold? towards the first, the first one that sold was not the first one that ran. The first one that sold was two cavemen talking and one caveman is showing the other caveman a club. And the second caveman is going, I don't know. 
I'm something of a technophobe. And uh, the first one that ran is a guy on a subway looking at a sign that says, won't you please give this seat to someone wealthier, more influential? So that was the first one that ran. And you weren't kidding. Your style changed big time. I'm looking at the first one now, the caveman. And uh, yeah, Yeah. changed pretty dramatically, actually. Uh, Yeah. First. And also what happened? Well, when I got a couple in the magazine, I was like, obviously, I was thrilled. You know, it was it was a a dream I had since I was a small kid. And uh, so after a few ran, I was I was in L.A. at the time. And then I came back for some vacation. I was like, all right, I'll stop by the magazine. I'll meet Bob. And this is like, you know, I'll meet all the other cartoonists. And and so I got there and uh, I met Bob and he's like, yeah, your jokes are good, but they hate your art. <laughs> really? He goes, yeah, they, they think it's clip arty was the word he used. And it was like, that was like a, that was a dagger. But so I, I went for, I went for a walk, like a two hour walk around Central Park, just like, what have I done? Like, can I do this? And then I decided, well, I can walk away or I can get better at drawing. And so I really pushed myself. And so if you look at the later cartoons, I learned how to draw on the job. Yeah, I mean, I'll share my screen here just to show in er, the Mm. first caveman, just to some more recent I mean, it's really dramatic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and uh, also, I would, I would change it along the way. Like, there were times when I kind of experimented with, um, like, making it a little bit sketchier, making it precise. Uh, most people that you see in the magazine have a pretty fixed style, and mine changed constantly. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I like sometimes I would use shade and tone. Sometimes I would go black and white. Sometimes I would do kind of like hatchy shading. Sometimes I'd make it scratchy. Like there was one of a NASCAR thing where um, it was like, is this a bad time to discuss global warming? It was like a pit crew. And that one's really different. Um, But I did it that way because I wanted it to be have the feeling of frenetic energy that they're in a pit, they're changing. There's a lot of motion. And one guy wants to slow down and talk about the environment and fossil fuel. So in that regard, it served the energy of the drawing that I was trying to, uh, to capture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pulled that one up as well. And yeah, it doesn't, that, like you said, most of your stuff is clean, just really clean. Right. Almost looks exactly like Dernovich, almost just how, uh, mm-hmm. how dark it is. Well, here's here's something that uh, your style reminded me of a cartoonist, and I was for the life of me, I was trying to remember who it was. And I, mm-hmm. I did some searching today, and it's like, ah, that's who it was, that's who I remember. You know, Carl Rose. Wow, that's a huge compliment. Thank I you. know it's a huge compliment, but that's who you remind yeah. me of. It's like I was trying to figure out. It's like well, this, thank you. His later stuff when he's doing you know work with the Dr. Seuss books and stuff. That's what I was thinking of. You know that that's yeah, my age. No. And, and for the people who don't know, he's uh, I I say it's spinach and I had a hell with it. He mm-hmm. did that cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So it's he, like his style changed. One of the greats. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it's what I was going for was I wanted 
once I decided I wanted to learn how to draw better, I, I decided that I wanted to make stuff that wouldn't look out of place in the, what I would call like the golden age, like when Carl Rose was, was drawing and Glorious Williams was a huge and George Price were two of the ones for me that just in terms of precision, idiosyncratic precision, like there were the great illustrators that probably were illustrators and came over from, you know, doing magazine covers and stuff. But those guys were specifically like pitch perfect car, like their visuals were inherently funny. It wasn't the caption. It was like everything that they did was a character study. Mm. And I never achieved that, but uh, I, I just love the, the precision. And, you know, I cheated a little bit with the computer. No, it's, it's, it's great. You know, you have a clean line and that's part of it. You know, I love that. And yeah, you do change it up when you need to for the cartoon, which is, which is great. Yeah. I figured why not? Like it, because I was doing lots of different stuff, like there would be ones that would be multi-panel. There'd be ones that would be a caption. There'd be ones that would have the caption in the body. Why not change it up a little bit? And, uh, I, hope people liked it. I, I just, I did it, you know, for myself. Cause I just kind of felt like, I think I get bored easily. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll change it. Uh, I have a lot more cartooning questions. I'm just curious, how'd you break into comedy writing? I mean, at, what was your start? The Larry Sanders show or was it a uh, Letterman? No, it was actually before Letterman. It was, um, I, I, my writing partner and I had been writing at spy magazine. And uh, we wanted to break into television. And so we wrote spec scripts. We got an agent and he got us a, like a gig on a one-off hidden camera show called Pranks. And uh, it ended up airing once on like Labor Day. Um, it was uh, <laughs> just one and done. But uh, one of the guys from that ended up he was a monologue writer for Letterman. And so monologue writers and staff writers were two very different camps. And it was almost unheard of that a monologue writer would break over into the staff writer camp. Monologue guys would wake up early in the morning, read the paper, send in their jokes, and then they were done for the day. And staff writers would actually be at the office writing jokes, interacting with Dave. And so he made the crossover. Like he submitted a packet, he got in and then they had fired a bunch of people and he said, I recommended you two guys. So get a packet together. And we did. And they, uh, they hired us and we went over there. And then from there we went to Larry Sanders and then that was it. So you weren't writing monologue jokes for, uh, no, no, it's two different camps. And it was funny because when we went to Larry Sanders, Gary just assumed we could write monologue jokes and we had never done it. And so we really, uh, and he really put a lot of um, uh, stock in who could write monologue jokes and who couldn't. And we're like, Oh shit. Like this is, this is way out of our comfort zone, but we just did it and uh, it, it worked out fine. And it was only a few, but yeah, no Letterman had a whole team that did that. He had the head monologue writer did work in house, but the, the people who sent in jokes were all over the country. 
I assumed you were a monologue writer just because that seems most similar to New Yorker cartoons. I mean, a New Yorker cartoon could yeah. just be a, uh, a monologue joke. It could be, yeah. But it's all the, it's all like the, the bits and stuff that happen throughout the show. Um, like our, our first... Our first week on the job, they decided it was a hiatus week and they decided they wanted to produce a bit we came up with, which was Dave buys an apartment with a hidden camera. And the bit was hidden camera, bunch of assistants who have cameras in their bags and Letterman goes out to buy expensive apartments and just acts weird with realtors. And they're like, great, let's do it. But what they hadn't counted on was that when you're, interacting with really rich people, they don't like cameras and they don't care about television at all. If you go out on the street, you can do a hidden camera show with like your average person and he, she, or they is like, wait, I'm going to be on camera. Awesome. And it's like, well, you made an ass out of yourself. Doesn't matter. It's like Jay Leno would go around and, and make tremendous fools out of people. And they would always sign the release and be on camera looking like a moron. Well, if you're like a VP of like Time Warner, you don't care and you're well aware of what. And so we couldn't get anyone to sign a release. And so the bit just died on the vine. And uh, so we're in the van and we just we're aware that we wasted an entire day of filming on this idea of ours. And the director comes running over and he goes, uh, hey, writer boys. Dave wants to talk to you. So we get out of the van, go running over to Dave's like black town car and the window rolls down and he's inside with his assistant and he goes, uh, Hey, uh, what was the name of the Danish astronomer who died on the toilet? And my first guess was Johannes Kepler. And he smiled and said, Nope. I said, uh, Tico Brahe. And he goes, yep. And then the window goes up. And I go back to the van and I ask the director, what just happened? And he goes, they just saved your job. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you got, he goes, you got, you got nine more weeks. <laughs> that was the test. Oh my God. I would have gotten fired. I didn't know the answer to that. <laughs> wow. And then, and yeah, then where was, was in a, how long did you work with, with that show? A year, a year, and then, and then, and then we went to Larry then, Sanders. And then from there, you went to Larry Sanders. So with this yeah. TV success, and I assume TV writing probably makes more money than cartooning, um, very yes. likely. So really, the New Yorker was just a childhood dream. Is, is kind of why you want a to do that. Childhood dream. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 funny because it's not like I actually wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be a New Yorker cartoonist, right? Like I had no interest in, in cartoons like running elsewhere. Although I did one, when Bob went to Esquire, I did one that I really, really, really enjoyed. Uh, one for Esquire and then, then I pretty much hung it up. But other than that, I just wanted to be in the New Yorker. That was it. Like I would go as a child and go to the, the libraries and just sit there and look at the old cartoon books for hours. Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't tell you why. I still don't understand to this day why, but it, it had this hold on me. And I was just like, someday I'm going to do it. Like when, it, when people from college found out 
They were like, oh my God, that's so great. You were talking about that all the time. I was like, I was? <laughs> yeah. Apparently I just blabbed about that nonstop at college. And uh, so it, it, it must've been just top of mind all the time. And so I just, finally all those, those different things coming together. It's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta try it. Yeah. So uh, was it said- the humor or is it the cartoons? I mean, when you first started reading these books, what was it that attracted you to that? Was it just the humor right off or, is, or did you like the drawings? You know, it was almost like the, it was like looking into a window into history in a way that was to me more alive than reading about it. Mm-hmm. Like there was something about if you saw like the old telephones or the way old cars look, there was something about, I, you know, people would talk about how humor doesn't age well. And a lot of times it doesn't, but it's also a really interesting window into history to see what people found funny then. So I looked at it as this incredible record of the 20th century from a, a totally different perspective, a lot less dry than history. Because it was so, it was so of the moment and so of these people's psyches and the drawings were beautiful and sophisticated and it, it was a window into a world of sophistication that I did not experience living in New Jersey. Like growing up in New Jersey, New York was the ivory tower across the river. And I think that happens with a lot of people who aren't from New York is they look at New York as a beacon and uh, like, why are Canadians so great at comedy? It's because they're looking at America from an outsider perspective. And I think there are probably a lot of people in the New Yorker who would be like thought of as New York sophisticates who aren't from New York. Like I don't think Harold Ross was from New York at all. I think he was from the sticks. So there's something in that of being drawn to that, the wit, the knowledge, like you could tell the people who did those cartoons were smart. It, it wasn't like the Sunday funnies. It was something else. And I think even as a kid, I was aware of that. Wait, that's, where did you get exposed to that as a kid? Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Oh, I was just going to say that's interesting because that's how I got into it. I discovered mm-hmm. this book called Cartoon Cavalcade when I was like eight years mm-hmm. old and it had, as you said, it was these cartoons going back to the turn of the century back then, 1800s, yeah. going up to the 1940s when the book was published. And yeah. I was reading it and just trying to understand why some of these were funny. You know, there's a reason why this was a cartoon, but I did not understand it, you know, from my perspective. So it's, as you said, the history point of it was, I needed to know why that was funny. So it got me into the history. Right. Well. Yeah. And it, it opens an investigation of sorts. And when something, when something from a time period long past resonates, there's so, it's a really cool thing. Like when you see something really funny from a long time ago, then they've touched on something eternal and it might've been the first time it was ever done. Like if, if they did it in the New Yorker in the thirties or forties, maybe that was the first time it ever occurred in history. So there is something of that, like, you know, the Carl Rose, I say it's spinach and I say the hell with it or, you know, Thurber cartoons, all that stuff. It's uh, I just I just found it really, really compelling. Yeah. Cool. 
And so you say you uh, hung it up, but uh, I, I assume you miss drawing and doing the cartoons. Well, the problem is, is I did it obsessively. And so at a certain point after doing it for like 20 years, I was starting to feel like a sense of burnout. Um, I think a lot of it really has to do with the batting average, which is you send in 10. If you're lucky, they buy one. And the other ones, you can resubmit them, but they kind of go out the window. And you've, I would think about it all the time, like to the point where I wasn't entirely present in my own life. Like I did one that um, Santa Claus and his wife, and he goes, uh, stop avoiding me. I know when you were sleeping. I know when you're awake. And it was like, that came from it. Like my wife and I had had an argument and I said that out loud. I was like, stop. I know when you're sleeping. I was like, what? It sounds like Santa Claus. No, there's a cartoon. <laughs> well, that's not, that's not healthy is to be having this very real moment with your spouse and then go, Ooh, Hey, now gotta remember that. I gotta remember that. <laughs> Like, that's terrible. You know, we were we were snorkeling on our honeymoon, and all I could think of with the School of Fitch is, what if they swam in different directions? And it was like, that'd be a Montessori school. And it was like, okay, I got to remember that. 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 And it's like, so when you're in that mode, you really, I really was not taking in life. And uh, I just started to become aware of that. And it went from it went from the joy of discovery to the need to keep perpetuating it. And once I hit that, and then I think when Bob left, it was like Bob was my mentor and he had brought me in and just kind of like, well, maybe that's the natural stopping point. And I figured I could always go back to it if I wanted. But I started to want to really do things in television that I hadn't been doing before, like drama. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do those well, I really need to, all that time that I was spending thinking about cartoons, I need to do that with what I'm writing. And I, there just wasn't, wasn't room between kids and work. There just wasn't room. And I'd done it for 20 years. So I was like, okay, I, I think I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I miss it, but I, I don't really... I doodle in a weird way. Like when I'm on staff at a, sh or, uh oh, hey, Siri, come on, rude. Um, like when I was on staff at Veep, I would just do these weird face collages on scripts of just like bizarro looking faces. No joke, no nothing, just kind of weird for the sake of weird. It was like some sort of window into the unconscious, but that's, that's like as far as I took it. And, uh, it was fun. And so, you know, I can doodle if I want, but right now I'm really trying to get some writing things going and that takes a lot of work to do it right. Yeah. And you're having some success there, right? I think you won an Emmy over at Veep. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you have plans now that that show has come to an end. Yeah. Uh, Created a show for HBO uh, with uh, Pete Hike um, called White House Plumbers. And it's the true story of uh, Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy and how these 
two fanatics brought down the Nixon administration and they were trying to save it. And so it's, it's the water, it's the Watergate version that hasn't been done, which is like kind of a Coen brothers bumbling idiot thing. It's an incredible story. Um, A producer came to us with the idea. And once we started doing the research, it was, it was one of the more incredible aspects of it that hadn't hadn't been told so that's in post-production right now and should be coming out next year oh wow great look forward to it yeah and and how did uh how did you get involved in veep because that's an impressive cast and uh not just the actors but i think dave mandel runs it right who's a seinfeld and a curb guy yeah and also a classmate of mine from high school oh that <laughs> so, helps where did I'm you not, go to I'm high not school a, I went to high school with you. (laughs) I went to Horace Mann, where David Cypress also went. Of course. And, um, oh, God, another New Yorker cartoonist and a great one. Why am I blanking on his name? Ed Corrin. Wow. So That's amazing. Yeah. So a few have come out of there. I think maybe even a younger guy. I feel I feel like there may have been like four four of us, hmm. um, but yeah. So what happened was is uh, Armando Iannucci, who created Veep, left after the end of season four because I think he had been doing a show called In the Thick of It in England and Veep in America, and I think he was just like, okay, I'm done. And so um, season four, he left, and then HBO and Juliet said, well. We want to keep going, but who do we get to run it? And Dave Mandel had run Curb for HBO, and he had known Julia from Seinfeld, and he was a history major at Harvard and had a lot of like political leanings. And so he was like the perfect Venn diagram of like who might be able to do it. But he said, well, I'm not going to do the show in England. He actually is an English show. That's what people don't realize about it. It was filmed in America, but it was written by Brits in Britain, edited in Britain, and it was only filmed in Maryland. And so when Dave took it over, he's like, well, I'm only going to do it in L.A. And they're like, great. All of our cast, except Anna, live in L.A. And uh, so they just moved the show, just packed the show into trucks and just moved it to L.A., and so then he needed to find American writers. And so I happened to run into him at a table read and he asked me, I would, we were on an ABC studios deal at the time. And uh, he said, would you ever do like an HBO thing? And I didn't know that he was running. So I knew that he was, he had been writing partners with Alec Berg. And so I was like, well, maybe, Ooh, maybe Silicon Valley. So I was like, yeah, sure. I would do an H we would do an HBO thing. I didn't know he was asking for V. And so then uh, we got hired on V. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was one of the, one of the better TV experiences I've had, not surprisingly. Um, but yeah, that would, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that's a, uh, that's an impressive cast over there. Wow. It, yeah. The cast is they're heavy hitters. And what was really cool is, they would add people and the world would just expand. And I mean, you'd have to be writing for a ton of different characters, but each character they added in the seasons we were there was just 
another home run, like Clea Duvall, Peter McNichol. Like they, it just kept getting funnier and funnier. So it was, it was great to be part of that for the final three seasons. And I'm sure being so immersed in that, uh, it's probably the same as the cartooning, right? Where your whole world is just thinking up. Well, and, uh... Yeah, there's a bit of that. And there's also, it's just, it's the intensity of that production. Like my mania with the cartoons was self-created. The production of a TV show has its own built-in mania where sometimes you it's not up to you how many hours you spend there um, and that it can get intense. And it was. Was there like a writer's room or something that you went to or how does that, uh, how did that work? Oh yeah. 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 That, that was an office. Yeah. That was like an office job. Like you'd come into work, go into the room, work in the room, break stories, go in your office, do some writing, come back, you know, it, and, uh, and when, the show was in production, you would be stacked behind the monitors. Like what typically happens on like a movie is that you have the director at the monitors and maybe like a producer and a script supervisors. We had that and then like 14 writers. So if something wasn't working, they would come over and they'd be like, we need a new line here. And it'd be like, it was like a machine gun of like voices would just fire off lines or texts or whatever. And it was just like pages after pages after pages would just come flying out. Um, so that's, that's why that show was like, it was in terms of the density of jokes is it was from the, the tonnage of material we were churning out. And it was, again, if what the people in front of the camera were heavy hitters, there were also some real heavy hitters behind the camera like some of the best joke writers I've ever encountered. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so, so when, when they came, you know, that moment when it says this isn't working and you guys stepped up, did you enjoy those moments? Was that fun for you guys to just, you know, get in there and brainstorm and just throw stuff out there? Or? Yeah. Well, it's better than sitting there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. True. And but also, you know, it's the writer's ego. It's just like another chance to have one more thing in the show. Mm-hmm. That's everyone. Everyone. It's like point of pride of like, oh, I got that one in, you know. But I'm also, it's like, I think everyone at Deep was very scrupulous about giving credit where credit is due. Like my daughter would be like, who wrote that joke? And I'd be like, that was Billy Kimball who wrote that. It's like, I, I will never take knowingly take credit for something I didn't do. So we were all very respectful of, of everyone else's input. So when you were out in LA working on these TV shows and submitting mm-hmm. cartoons, you, you didn't live it. Was there overlap? Did you live in New York when you were submitting it all? Or did you go into the office no. in person? So you just always sent in. No, here, let me turn on a light. <laughs> I'm losing sunlight. No, what happened was, is I went in to the office. The first time I went in, Bob gave me the clip arty speech, which was heartbreaking. And then the second time I went in, one of the older cartoonists, and I'm only not going to say his name because I've forgotten his name, but he, he said, uh, who wants to go to lunch? 
you want to go lunch, lunch, lunch. And he skipped me. <laughs> he literally went to the person next to me and on the other side of me, like lunch, 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 lunch. It's like, holy shit. So I was like, I'm not coming in anymore. Like all I get is like kicked in the nards, like clip party, disinvited to lunch. Like I'm done. I don't need to know these people. And that was it. <laughs> so I just stayed the hell. I stayed the hell away from the safety of my uh, Kinko's fax machine or later email or whatever. I was like, no, they don't want me. Oh my God. So what did you do? Did you stay back or did you, did you tag along with lunch anyway? Oh, hell no. I was like, they, they do not want me coming to lunch. This guy has made it abundantly clear. It was like something out of like an eighties, like an eighties movie where like the bad guy, the cool guy was like, no, not you. Except that it was like this crusty old dude who was like, I don't even want to go to lunch with you, but I'm still hurt that you didn't want me. Oh no. It's like getting picked last on yeah. the on the team. <laughs> oh, not even. It's like it's like you, someone gets picked last and then you're left standing and then they go play softball and you're just still standing there. It's like I don't even exist. That's how bad it was. Oh my god. It's terrible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Actually, to add insult to that, Pat Burns told us about his first uh, New Yorker lunch with cartoonists with the older guys. Oh, really? I don't know if he ever told you, you this. Tell. I don't know if he ever told you this story, no. but uh, they were all talking about your cartoon and all grumbling about it that no one understood it. And uh, he had Fine. mentioned your Wait, cartoon. Which cartoon was that? I which forget. one? It was the prostitute talking to a man in a car for an extra 50 oh. bucks. I'll let you show me a palm pilot. <laughs> So I like that cartoon. <laughs> when we had him on the podcast here, he, he, he mentioned you were part of his first lunch story and uh, he got to explain it to them all. And then I think he said after the explanation, they didn't like it either. <laughs> but initially, oh, none, of them, sure none, none of them understood this cartoon. I guess yeah. they, I, I think their point was they didn't know what a palm pilot was. I think that's it. Because what happened was, is I'll explain it, which is, at that time, and this is like the window into history, because if you ask kids now, so it was like the older guys didn't know what a Palm Pilot was. And if you ask kids, they'd be like, I don't know what a Palm Pilot is. Yeah. So there was this brief window in time. But what it was is I had a bunch of friends who would want to show me their Palm Pilot. Like, oh, yeah. Check it. And it was like, I don't want to see it. It was like a flasher. So that, that was, there was this like, exhibitionist quality to the palm pilot like i gotta show you my palm pilot it's like <laughs> i really i really don't want to see it i don't want to see your address book i don't want to see this thing of yours and so it's like oh right you're kind of flashing me with your palm pilot and so that's where that came from but that's hilarious i love that i made them grumble that's awesome <laughs> oh funny well you have another prostitute cartoon that i posted one day in my facebook group um, I have a Facebook group dedicated to the contest and cartoons and people gave me all kinds of crap about it. Like it was this horrible cartoon. It was like so bad against women and this and that. And I was like, it's hysterical. It is the prostitute standing on the street corner with a sign that says bad credit. Okay. Right. <laughs> How is it against women? I don't know. They, you know, it was, it was a terrible, it was a terrible cartoon 
people gave me crap about it. I was like, no, it's not. It's absolutely hysterical. So it's so funny. It's yeah. about capitalism. Yeah. Like that, oh that's God. it. That's what's so funny when people take it to be one thing uh-huh. and it's a, it's completely the other, which is right. there was literally nothing you couldn't like. They were basically saying credit didn't matter. Right. Like you could get, you had a bad credit and do anything with it. And so it's like, well, what about an all cash business? Like, what about if there's something that's like totally anonymous and with lots of shame, like bad credit? Okay, there. All right. Okay. How far down can we go? <laughs> wow. I think it's hysterical. Well, again, right. like there was that the, the thing that I, I told you about when, when you and I had the conversation uh-huh. about the first caption contest thing where mm-hmm. the winner was was picked entirely on a misunderstanding of the drawing. Yes. And a misunderstanding of mollusk anatomy. Yeah. So that one for people listening is it was when the contest was a yearly contest and um, it was a squid um, in a sushi bar standing next to the sushi chef behind the counter. And Mm -hmm. the, the, um, sushi chef is speaking to a man who's sitting at the counter eating. Right. And the sushi chef in the winning caption said something like, he feels he can do more good working within the system. Yes. A fine caption. But when I saw the other one, there was one that was like tonight's special specials are like Toro, Yellowtail and SQUID. That's the winner. Yeah. Unquestionably, that's the winner. And I told Bob, I was like, or I asked Bob, like, why didn't you pick that one? Like, that is the clearly the funniest one. And he goes, well, like, I was like, I don't quite understand the doing good within the system. And he goes, well, he's the squids working there. And I'm like, no, he's not. They just got a giant squid in for sushi and he's alive and dangerous like and so he's like no he's working there he goes he's got a hat on it's like he doesn't have a hat on that's the squid's fins that's what a squid looks like there's no hat he's naked so bob had based the entire cartoon contest selection on the fact that he thought the squid was wearing a hat (laughs) he's not wearing a hat (laughs) well looking at the image i could i could certainly see that but look at a picture of a giant squid. <laughs> it's, un- it's unambiguous. I did like I, I do a lot of photo research. Like that's exactly what a squid looks like <laughs> in, in terms of the in terms of the, the tail. That's that's the downfall of our educational system. There's not enough squid in our educational exactly. system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mollusks are, are a sorely undertaught subject. It's, yeah. But I definitely agree with you. The the caption where they spelled out the word squid so that the squid wouldn't understand what they were saying is definitely funnier. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> it's like a laugh. Out, it's like a laugh out loud thing of like <laughs> over his shoulder like that because it's supposed the squid is supposed to be menacing. Like that's <laughs> that's what I drew it with. Is you're supposed to be terrified. There's this giant squid there. <laughs> Well, oh my gosh. Since you were I you were in the caption contest so early on, uh, did you enjoy the caption contest? Did you think it was a, a good idea, something that they started? I thought it was great. I know that probably the, the same 
folks who didn't like the pump pilot cartoon hated the caption contest. I know that it was at the start, it was very controversial. And I think people were very threatened by it. To me, I thought it was as a fan of cartoons who read the magazine as an outsider. If I hadn't been able to draw, I know that I would have loved the caption contest. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what about the people who love it, who can't draw, who have great ideas and want to be part of it? It's like, I, I, I never saw the harm in it. I always thought it was fun. And some of them were killer. Like there was one that I had, uh, Tarzan and Jane is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, the winning caption was, fine if it's a boy we'll call him boy and if it's a girl we'll call her Mackenzie. and i was like that is that is rock solid whoever sent that in crushed it like way better than whatever i had come up with that they pulled away it was like Mackenzie, (laughs) chef's kiss the perfect name like that's pitch perfect so it's like i don't know what's what's not to love about that that's it's great It, it Especially in magazines that are so, I mean, they're so behind the eight ball with interactive stuff, the way the internet is. It was a way to bring people into the magazine in an interactive way. I thought it was, I don't know, I always thought it was fun. And then Bob and I started playing around with stuff like the Build Your Own cartoon, where Mm -hmm. I did like a bunch of different elements that you could kind of cut and paste and like build like it was like a talk show set yeah and it was like well you could have a cat interviewing a dog or you can have a skeleton interviewing an alien or whatever it was it was like a bunch of different things mm-hmm. and uh i mean people did some like really surreal stuff and a lot of it was gibberish but it was kind of an early window into just like the ai version of stuff of like what happens when you mess with the algorithm and what do you see? And it was just, I, don't, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Um, and I don't think it, it diminished what was in the magazine leading up to that in any way. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was in favor of it. Uh, I know you don't submit anymore, but do you still follow the magazine at all? You know, it's funny. Like once I did it, I kind of stopped, like I'll check in every now and then. Like I looked through it recently and um, there was one Carolina Johnson did that just killed me. I, and I wrote to her. It was, it was just, I was just like rolling, laughing. I just thought it was so great. It was like something about like, it was a woman with a jumpsuit on a sofa and she was having a drink with this impulsively purchased jumpsuit from like pre-COVID or something. And uh, that one, that one really knocked me out. Um but uh, yeah, it's like I, when I stopped working at various shows, I kind of stopped watching. Like, it's not, I don't know what it is. Like, it's not like, oh, now that I know how the sausage is made, it's no longer interesting. It's just like, I guess when you dive in that deep to something, you kind of go, okay, I just want to see what else is out there. And so mm-hmm. um, I check in, but I don't, I don't follow it religiously. I also think that I might start to feel like competitive and like, I'm, mm-hmm. I need to get back into it. It's the last thing I need right now. So there might be a little bit of that of like trying to, trying to go cold Turkey <clears throat> for my own sanity. Do you have a favorite cartoon that you'd, you've done? 
that I've done. Yeah. Um, I've got a few. Uh, and I don't even know that they're the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one was a doctor taking a dog out of the OR and he goes, let's go Barney. I guess some people just don't like dogs. <laughs> I love that one. That one is just, I don't know what it is. It, it's, <laughs> it's it, the type of person that is out there that really drives me crazy of just like, whatever I do is awesome. And, uh, and how dare you not like what I do? Um, <laughs> I, I just recently used that Barney um, cartoon as an example of one of the only cartoons I like that use a proper name in the in the caption because right. it needed it. It, it absolutely needed, yeah. you know, calling the dog by his name, taking him out of right. the OR. Um, yeah, it's, it's he's a person. Yes. Um, yes. and then the, um, just, I think it was a pretty good drawing was the, um, the woman who's leaving her husband uh, and she goes, you know, like I, I, I could look the other way with the drinking and the skirt chasing, but I did not sign up for bicycle clothes. <laughs> I love that one. That one. Classic. I love I'm, that and one. I'm sure there are, there are a lot of like wives out there that are like, Yes, that was <laughs> that was for all the women who have to deal with that stupid hobby of their spouses with the freaking. T- oh my god, it's unconscionable. I think about you're not that, that case. fast. You're not that fast. <laughs> is my point. Just wear regular pants, you <laughs> lunatics. My god. Anyway, that was a <laughs> that I was totally one gun agree. out of anger. Oh yeah. my god. I love yeah, that. on a similar note there, it's one of my all-time favorite cartoons, all-time favorite cartoons is one of yours. Oh. And it's because it's it's a hobby that I have. Vinyl? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted. I've got about 20,000 records. So, <laughs> yeah, see? See, what did I say? <laughs> but it's it's and the two guys in front of the like- stereo system. It looks high end. It's got two amplifiers. It's got a, like must be a glass turntable and everything on there oh, high-end yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. and it's so uh, the oh, two yeah. things that are really By that really way. drew me to vinyl were the expense and the inconvenience <laughs> and i love that yeah that's, that's another me. favorite and also listen it was it was done with love um by the way are you um are you into paul are you into like uh tube amps and like horn speakers and all that kind of stuff are you an audiophile or just a music fan? I'm more of a music fan, but I do like, you know, to get something that sounds good. I'm, I'm not going to geek out here because we'll just bore everybody to death with talking oh, about know. stereo systems. But yeah, it's, I like it to sound nice. It doesn't have to sound perfect, but I like it to sound nice. Yeah. See, this is, I'll show you my problem. This is my problem right here. Headphones. Is, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a problem. That's all you need there. You got your headphones. Well, no, I've got like a little hybrid tube amp, and I've I'm oh, very, going I'll stop, into the headphones. Stop. Okay, I, I, so I can go down the I can go down the rabbit hole so yeah. fast. I don't want to do that. This is not about that. <laughs> but I I love that you love that cartoon. So yes, thank you. Because I knew you did it because you loved it. I mean, I I, I oh, didn't oh, take completely. any offense off of that. It's like, yeah, there you know that. That's how that works. Yeah, yeah. 
I would say yeah. probably one of your most iconic cartoons is the uh, It's Always Good Dog, Never Great Dog. Yeah. That's probably one of the most popular sellers, yeah. I and would that, imagine, right? For sure. And that came directly from being a Hollywood writer. Hmm. Because the praise you would get us all was like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, the writing's good. Sure, it's good. <laughs> and it was never, ever, ever great. <laughs> ever. Oh, that's funny. So that's where that came from. Well, I think the Emmy puts a stamp on great. That's pretty much the, uh, <laughs> that's as high praise as you can get, right? Yeah. It was, it was a lovely thing. A lovely Where do you keep thing. that, by the way? Uh, it's. Oh, there we go. Wow. Yeah. There you go. I nice. still need some stuff on the walls. Actually, I'm going to turn the lights on a little bit. It's dark in here. Um, but yeah, that was funny thing. Like the, the year we won the Emmys, um, I don't have a lot of nice clothes. And so I don't own a tuxedo and I busted a suit out of storage that I hadn't worn in years and some shoes that I hadn't worn in years. And I'm probably the only person in Hollywood who would have worn Echo shoes to the Emmys, but I did <laughs> with a black suit. And as I'm walking around, I start to be, I feel like I have gum in my shoe. I'm like, what is happening? Did I step in gum? And then I look at my heel and it's fallen off. <laughs> and it's the bottoms of my shoes had had some sort of like chemical reaction after sitting so long unused that they just were starting to disintegrate. And so as I walk up on stage, like they call V Perry, we go up and I'm just starting to leave bits of my shoes along the way, all the way up on stage. So there's no record of it, but there is a trail of my shoes <laughs> oh my going God. from the seats all the way up and back. And then we get to the, we get to the HBO party and I get out of the van and I, my pants split. <laughs> so I'm spending the whole time like sitting down or with my back to the wall. And so the next day I sent a picture to like the customer service people at Echo going, here's me, here's <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and here's a picture of what's going on in my feet. <laughs> and, oh my and they sent me a new pair of shoes, and I still wear nice. echoes to the Emmy. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. So as a comedy writer, you use all that stuff in, a, in something you're writing, right? Shoes I'm sure. Apart. I'm sure at some point. It, yeah. It's cold. It's you, cold. Don't, you don't ever get the moment of dignity. Like it is the, the most sort of like, yes, moment. It's like, yeah. I'm wobbling something. on my crappy. Something. <laughs> something, something's gone wrong. I've had heels yeah. break at work, but it's not quite the same thing. It's not exactly the Emmys. <laughs> what do you, here's a question. What do you do for the rest of the day after your heel breaks? Like, does that mean you get to go home? Do you get no. to walk, you have to walk around barefoot? I think I called one of my friends and she had an extra pair of shoes in her car. So <laughs> I got lucky when my shoe broke at work, but, but yeah, what do you and do? your friend of the same size feet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got lucky. Amazing. I got lucky, but women's All shoes, right. when the heel breaks, it's like your foot 
it's, it's not in that position. It's not like it was flat. It was like a heel. Oh you yeah. Know? No, so it's, you're it's like, like you can't possibly walk in a broken shoe. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's like a physical injury. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. So how did you, how did you start doing this podcast? How did you come about this? It was Jim's um, brainchild. We really just realized, <laughs> you know, the caption contest had gone on for so long and it was becoming so mm-hmm. popular. And for years I would search for a podcast just to listen to it. Sometimes you look at the cartoon, you don't really understand what's going on. And it's like, ah, it'd be nice if there was a podcast, somebody explaining what they thought was going on here. And uh, All right. I went five years without it, without it existing. And then eventually just said, if no one's going to do it, uh, I guess I'll do it. And then, uh, I found that's Beth. how so many great things are done is, is that the need is there and someone steps in and fills the need. That's so cool. Yeah, and then it's been great getting cartoonists on. We didn't know if that would be a thing. The plan was really just to talk about the caption contest. And then we said, oh, maybe the cartoonists might want to come on. And uh, with the with oh my a very God, small yeah. exception, very they're, few have said no. Yeah, because they're sitting cooped up in a room by themselves going out of their minds. They'd love to talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's really solitary. And I'll tell you what, a lot of a lot of cartoonists listen. Mo- that's probably most of the emails we get is from cartoonists who say, while I'm drawing, I, I like to listen to other cartoonists kind of talk mm-hmm. their craft. Oh, that's awesome. Who said no? Uh, a few have <laughs> said, always politely, but um, some, yeah. most of them who have said no are no longer in the magazine. So I suspect they uh, harbor some type of ill will toward the magazine. Right. Not necessarily right. toward yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had heard about a couple that like just kind of stormed off and like never submitted again. Um, I always found that fast. I was like, what could have gone wrong? Like, you know, my parting was entirely amicable and it was just sort of like, I just, I just ran out of steam and needed to like be present in my life and that sort of stuff. But no, I have nothing but fond memories of the magazine, huge affection for it. Um, yeah, well, we miss, uh, at least I miss seeing your stuff in there. Um, mm-hmm. it, oh, oh, thank you. They still have great cartoons, but th- it certainly is losing its edge. And I guess just, I guess people are becoming more sensitive in general. So they have a hard time. Well, it's sensitive, but it's, you don't it's see all... in the magazine anymore. And they're no, always no. prostitute cartoons, though. And their credit is always good, you know. <laughs> but I, I also think that it is something, it is that the, uh, the Gladwellian thing of like spending the time is like you get better at it. And so it's not necessarily that people are getting more polite. It's that it takes a while to really find your voice and start to really think about what you want to say as an artist and get comfortable and confident enough to start to explore those things. Like all the, all the ones that you mentioned that I've done, like, a lot of them were done in anger, you know, and that's like, it, it, that's something that's, that's coming out. Like that's, I'm trying to say something about Mm. society or life or whatever. And I think if you just, if you do like a few cartoons, you're just like, I just want to be funny. Right. I Mm. I just want to make a great joke and get in the magazine and make people happy. And then as you get more confident and you've done it long, you're like, well, what am I trying to say as an artist? And so I think that the shift away from the 
career cartoonist has led to it like a greater diversity of voices and styles but it's also i think you're gonna you're not gonna get people like charles saxon who is cataloging like suburban angst in a way um you're not gonna get that sort of stuff anymore or the, like that like yeah. slight the slice of life stuff because mm -hmm. that would be seen as like that's not the audience they're chasing right now. They're trying to get young people, young hip people, and that's a whole other thing. But I also do kind of miss that. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe those people are gone. Maybe the people that Charles Saxon was drawing no longer exist. But I really enjoyed that flavor. And, and just the art was just incomparable. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I was really happy to do it at the time I did it, you know, with other, like, I mean, Matt Diffie, like what a phenomenal artist that guy is and mm -hmm. super fan of Bruce and people like Carolina and Roz. I mean, to me, Roz, Roz is like the Jimi Hendrix of, of the New Yorker. I've mm -hmm. said that every time, like before Roz, there was this and after Roz, everything changed. Like, you didn't look at cartoons the same way. And just to be like, to meet Roz, to like get to appear at things with Roz, like that was, that was mind blowing. And like, not only is she a great cartoonist, but like that graphic novel about her parents, can we please talk about something more pleasant is one of the, one of the great graphic novels ever done. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's a, she's a heavy hitter of an artist. Like, yeah some real serious folks I've gotten to, to share the magazine with. And like, you know, every now and then, and uh, of the new crowd, Ed Steed is like, that guy is a rock star. Like that dude, he would have been one of the greats at any era. I was, I was blown away by him. So there, there's always, always great talent. And I think there's some of the, I'm glad that some of the newer artists are really good, uh, drafts people like i'm seeing like some some really good uh drawing because you know it's that's the hardest part is to find someone who is good with humor and can also draw is like a really small venn diagram mm -hmm. um but i love i love the the peer group i was with during those 20 years there was some really cool like ziegler oh my god leo cullum like mm -hmm. that was that was something that um uh, because I lived in LA and I had met Leo at some things and met his wife and daughter, I became friendly with them. Um, and when Leo passed, they had me come up to the house and look through his archives of things that hadn't gotten in that might want to be sent to the magazine. And that was, I mean, that was really, really powerful yeah. to go through his stuff and see his hold his originals and, um, he was a remarkable guy. Um, like I remember going to his funeral and hearing things that actually changed the way I approach fatherhood. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, the people that I've met along the way through all this stuff have also been really, really, uh, cool. And, and it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey, you know, to, to be able to do that and meet the people that I've met. My dad went to college with Leo Cullum. They were friends. And um, 
Really? Yeah. I never got to meet him or anything, but, um, yeah, I, I, I wish, I wish I could have. Yeah. Just cool as hell. Mm. I mean, it's like, I remember his, like his wife told me that he, well, first of all, he was like a fighter pilot in Vietnam. <laughs> like, so mm. the kind of confidence it takes to do that, you just, you carry that around with you for the rest of your life. And then he was like, he flew the big jumbo mm-hmm. planes, like T, I think it was like TWA or something. And his wife said that like, he would just call her and be like, Hey, you want to go to Italy? And they would like hop on a plane and like go off to Italy and then when the plane was up in the air, he'd get out a little sketch pad and he would draw those beautiful <laughs> cartoons. Um, and then what his daughter said at his funeral was what changed like the way I, I approach fatherhood, which is so you've got this dad who's like a airline pilot taking you all over the world. And, and they talked about the thing that, that, um, they remembered the most about him. And one was that he would take them to the Malibu country Mart to go shopping. And the other one was he would take them on like runs and workouts. And that was it. So it was, it wasn't the spectacular, which he was capable of doing. It was mm-hmm. just the everyday and the every mundane day. of spending every day, spending time. And it was like, that made me really, rethink everything so just to just to be in that guy's orbit and uh and experience that was was really pretty profound because that's the guy you look at and go he's done it all like Mm -hmm. what what a life that guy had and and just such a sweetheart just the nicest coolest dude unlike lunch 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 I still don't remember his name. I literally, it's only because I've forgotten it that I'm not outing him. Although he's probably <laughs> dead by now. <laughs> oh, uh, we have you well over an hour here, so I don't want to bother you all night. Appreciate the time you gave us. An absolute pleasure. I'm so glad you're doing this. Um, so keep doing it. <laughs> oh, thanks again. Uh, I look forward to white house plumbers. I'm definitely going to check that out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yep. HBO, Woody Harrelson, Justin Thoreau should be fun. Fantastic. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thanks, Thanks, Alex. Okay. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Bye.